Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Two Sundays ago, we heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, which immediately precedes today's gospel reading. In fact, the gospel reading that we'll hear today was slated for last Sunday so that the biblical narrative could unfold week to week uninterrupted. But last week, I dodged this text because this story has always made me cringe. Indeed, my feelings about this text are so strong that the story haunted me, or maybe taunted me, until I recognized that if it bothers me that much, I probably need to deal with it, not avoid it. And so we're gonna deal with it. As we now hear this gospel reading, hold two things in mind, the story's macro context and its micro context. Macro. At this point, we are one chapter into Jesus' 10-chapter journey to Jerusalem. He has set his face toward the holy city and what will be accomplished there. And due to the magnitude of his impending crucifixion and resurrection, everything that happens along the way to Jerusalem, including today's text, everything must be seen in light of what will happen in Jerusalem. Microcontext. Remember, the Good Samaritan story is fresh in the listener's ear. So the gospel writer has just reminded us that we are called to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves and that such faith requires action as demonstrated by the compassionate Samaritan. Jesus' words leading directly into today's text are, go and do likewise. This is Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A church I served before coming to Covenant had a prayer group that met at 10 a.m. every Tuesday. And it was four or five wonderful, wise women who would gather. We would um, check in with one another, review the joys and concerns of the congregation, 
talk about the prayer needs we could anticipate or knew of in the larger community and indeed in the whole wide world. And then based on that conversation, we'd go around the table with each of us taking our turn to pray aloud. It was remarkable, faithful, powerful, and it took two entire hours out of my busy day. So one Tuesday, I dashed in at about 10.03. Sorry, I'm late. And one of the women pushed a little gift bag toward me, saying, for you to open later. I was so excited because she makes, hands down, the best sour cream pound cake. I knew that was what it was. So prayer group continued, and two hours later, I hurried down to my office to open my gift bag. It was a book. How to have a merry heart in a Martha world. I was so annoyed. And not just because it wasn't pound cake. I set it on my desk. Later I moved it to some other part of my desk. And then to some other part of my desk. One day I actually picked it up and opened it confirming my suspicions, and so I took it home. You know those little free libraries? <laughs> Just the title of the book, How to Have a Merry Heart in a Martha World, the rivalrous dichotomy with the built-in judgment, Martha versus Mary, and Mary is the one you're supposed to be. Hunting for an image to go on today's bulletin cover, I discovered that some artists have actually depicted Mary with a halo, but not Martha, which is probably because Martha's hair is already on fire. Okay, so let's look closely at this text. It opens with, now as they went on their way, which reminds us that Jesus doesn't travel alone. So welcoming him likely entailed welcoming a bunch of other people too, okay? Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Okay, so Martha is noted as having a house. That's an important image for us to hold of this woman of antiquity. And she welcomes Jesus. She displays that key cultural practice, hospitality. And she offers it to the Lord who just a chapter earlier had said, the one who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Big points for Martha. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. Okay, so both sisters are being hospitable. It's like the classic move, honey, I'll take the guests' coats to the spare bedroom while you chat with them in the living room. Only this is even better, way better. Our modern ears can't notice how radical this is. To sit at a rabbi's feet is the posture of a student, a budding scholar, a role denied women. 
And so Mary is boldly transgressing oppressive boundaries and Jesus is greenlighting the inclusion of women into the circle of learning. Big points for Mary and Jesus. This may be part of why this story bothers me so much. It starts so promisingly. Two women whose names are actually recorded. Martha, who owns a house and has the wherewithal to offer hospitality therein. And Mary, who has the chutzpah to take a seat usually reserved for a man. So far, so good. But Mary never speaks. And but, is it enough only to listen? Shouldn't listening to God propel us into action? The gospel writer presents a different but. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Seriously? The woman suddenly has hungry house guests. And the word, usually translated here as many tasks, is diakonia, which means service even ministry. It's the root of our word deacon. Martha is engaged in service. She's doing ministry. Still, even I can see her misstep here. Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Even if you manage to read that so that it doesn't sound whiny, Martha is triangulating. Don't drag a guest into a sibling spat. And worse, and this is key, she's lost track of why she's doing what she's doing. Focused on herself, she's lost sight of true hospitality. I do love that Martha calls out injustice, and I wish I could vindicate her, but I can't, which compounds my frustration. But that is nothing compared to what comes next. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. In case you're wondering, the Greek manuscripts really do repeat her name. I checked, hoping against hope that it was some modern editorial license because Martha, Martha is just so head-shakingly scoldy. What comes next is worse in substance, but Martha, Martha is the low point in terms of style. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Of course she is, because nobody's helping, even after the need for helpers has been pointed out. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. That statement, church, is what we need to circle back to. But first, let me fume my way through the rest of this final verse. Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her. It makes it slightly more palatable to note that the word translated as better part could be simply good part. Mary has chosen the good part. 
that diffuses a smidge of sister against sister. Nonetheless, the story has long been used to assert that serenely communing with God is holier than passionately taking action. And that doesn't square with the words that lead right into this story, go and do likewise. As for the very last phrase, it will not be taken away from her. Well, we all know that that sort of enduring profundity does not apply to the distractions that burden Martha or our own distractions. And I do appreciate being assured that there is something transcendent, something that does endure, that cannot be taken away from us. Because all this stuff, it's distraction. Everything from my instinctive defensiveness to checking out Greek manuscripts, it's all distraction. Now, like Martha and her distractions, I can make the case for the legitimacy of my many things. But this story's point is that there is one thing. This story is not about the call to hospitality. It's not about contemplation versus activism. As, journey, as Jesus journeys to Jerusalem, he's teaching that God's redeeming reign has come near and that the faithful are to enact the values of God's reign. Or as Fred Craddock wrote, if we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, the Samaritan or Mary, Jesus' answer would probably be yes. This story is not about women's roles. It's not about ego or sibling rivalry. It's about one thing. Its focus is one thing. Its focus is our call to connect with the loving presence of God and how we are distracted from that. This story is not about anything but that. The church, the uppercase C church, was distracted from that loving presence of God as it spent centuries oppressing women and abusing LGBTQ individuals and enabling the spread of empire with its devastation of native peoples and natural resources. And its more recent campaigns of claiming that the Bible speaks against abortion, it doesn't, and claiming to be pro-life while doing nothing to advance gun safety or eliminate capital punishment. The uppercase C church has been distracted from the call to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This congregation has, thanks be to God, pretty well steered clear of those distractions, but we have our own. Like many, if not most congregations, we're at risk of being distracted by our beautiful building. Like Martha in her hospitality, we must be sure that the attention that does need to be paid to the building is inspired by how it can connect the world to the loving presence of God. And like many, if not most, congregations, we're also at risk of being distracted by tradition. Like Martha, 
Rather than losing the track of why we do what we do, we must be sure we don't do things the way they've always been done just because that's always the way they've been done. Indeed, our efforts must always grow from and point to the loving presence of God. That's the one thing. And I've seen y'all when you're connected with it, when you're focused on the Haiti partnership, or when the children are restocking the free food pantry out front, when you're planning impactful Sunday school classes or a meaningful fall retreat, when you're giving sacrificially to support our shared ministry or caring for those in need. I saw it last Sunday when Matt closed his music folder and just sang to God. When I think of all that, I hear in Jesus' words to Martha, not a head-shaking scold, but an invitation to escape the flotsam and jetsam that leaves us all worried and distracted, and to feel instead the one thing that gives us peace as well as purpose, that one thing, our connection with the loving presence of God that cannot be taken away. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.